Well, good morning. How many of you know the second part here? And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. There we go. I did that the first service. I'm like, do we ha not have any older Baptists in the room? This is like, I grew up. I grew up singing these songs, so it is a joy to be here this morning. My name is Grace Marie. I'm the worship arts director here, and typically I'm leading worship or uh, speaking in the other room, but I am so honored to be able to be a part of what's happening here in the sanctuary this morning, beautiful music, and just a time to talk about something that I love, which is singing. I love to talk about singing. I said this in my message in the auditorium a couple weeks ago, but if I could live in a real-life musical, I would totally do it because I want to break out in song all the time, no matter the circumstance, no matter what's going on. I'm, like, always singing. In fact, uh, I love to sing, like, just when I'm walking between buildings or the hallways when I'm at work during the week here. And I said this in the first service, but uh, Miss uh, Helen and George Corley, we're in here, and I said, every time I'm, like, walking around a corner here and they hear me coming, they'll always say, sing, sister, sing. And, in fact, this morning I was going to print something from the printer really early this morning, and they came around the corner, and that's exactly what Mr. George said to me. I said, well, you won't believe this. I have y'all's name written on the first page of my notes today that I'm going to tell people that you always say, sing, sister, sing. Well, I'm someone who loves singing. Maybe you're not so much of someone who loves to sing, but hopefully at this point in the series that we've been in, this is week three and we're closing it out, you realize why it's at least important or why we're talking about it. And I got my love for singing from my grandmother, who I called my nanny. And, you know, I started singing when I was really little with her because she loved to sing. And so I remember when I was around six years old, she informed me that she signed me up for her church's talent show, okay, at Salem United Methodist Church in Timmonsville, South Carolina. And I was like, okay. And so she's like, I signed you up. You got to be in the talent show. You got to sing a solo. And so I'm like, I've never sang a solo. I've never sang in front of people before. And so, I, you know, she took it serious, which means I had to take it serious. And uh, I figured since my parents did such great work videoing that day, I would give you all a snippet of what it was like when I sang my very first solo in my song, I Am Adopted. I think I generally still look the same, but thankfully I got a few more teeth since then, so I'm very glad for that. Also, I love the way that I always uh, said, I didn't say hallelujah, I said hallelujah. So hallelujah, I belong. And so 
I was, uh, that, was that was the first time singing, and uh, I obviously sing, sing a lot these days, and I'm thankful for that. But singing has always been a really, really big part of my life. And we've been talking about singing a lot the last couple of weeks, and I want to let you know a lot of the stuff we've been pulling from is from the book Sing Loud, Die Happy by Pastor Jim Thompson. He's a pastor up in the upstate in uh, Greenville, and if you want to really dive into some of the stuff, I encourage you to pick up that book um, because it really it really goes into a lot of things that I think it's just it's just fun to read and fun to study about. But we've asked several questions the last couple of weeks. One, we've asked why why should we sing? Why should we participate in this? Why is it so important to what God has put into what it means to be human? And we talked about some of that the first week, and then we talked about. Like, how do we sing? How do we actually participate with our whole being? How do we join in with all creation? Some of the songs we sang this morning was talking about that. How do we actually do that? And so this week, we're going to close out this series, and we're going to ask this question. We're going to ask this question, when should we sing? As Christians, when should we sing? And I, for me, a better question, I think, is when shouldn't we sing, right? When shouldn't we sing? There isn't a song There isn't a season for which a song isn't suitable in some sort of way. We sing at birthdays. We sing at funerals. We sing at weddings. We sing in the car. We sing in the shower. We sing at karaoke parties. We sing in church. And we sing alone in our rooms to a Celine Dion song when you get your heart broken. Anybody? Yeah, that was a good one. I love that song. Eighth grade heartbreak. Yes. Let's sing the Celine Dion song. We all know that, that in this life and as we journey, there's just going to be lots of ups and downs. And our songs during different seasons may take on a different genre. They may take on a different tune as we go through different things. But hopefully you understand from Scripture that having a song on our lips is an important part of our life of faith. It's just an important part of having a life of faith. So this morning what I would like to do is I would like us to look at three different times or seasons where we see that singing is important in the life of a Christian. Three different times or seasons where we see from Scripture that singing is important in the life of a Christian. So I want us to jump in to the book of Exodus to start. It's going to be Exodus 14. You can follow along in your Bible. I'll be reading from mine, and it's also going to be on the screen And this is what it says. It says, When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, this verse is the context of what's happening is most of us know that from the book of Exodus, God's people had been held captive in Israel as slaves for over 400 years. And this verse that we just read is following the incident when they were delivered, when they were rescued out of Egypt. You know the story when they crossed the Red Sea and they were now headed towards the promised land. They finally have been delivered as God had promised. But what follows that verse, after it says that they were in awe of the Lord, and after it says they were in awe of him and what he has done and of his servant Moses that has been put in charge to lead them, The very next thing that follows is the first recorded song in the Bible, which I think is fascinating. And this is what it says. The very next verse, it it picks up Exodus 15, and it's called the Song of Moses. And I'll read just a few verses from it. It says this, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. 
I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and their rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. I'm going to skip over to verse 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. You raised your right hand, and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead the people that you have redeemed in your might. You guide them to your sacred home. This is the first recorded song in the Bible that actually goes on some more. But I think it's a beautiful thing because we see that the people of God, when they were rescued, their response was to break out in a song. I would love to hear the melody and the tune and how all the cadence of that went together with that number of people breaking out into song. We don't have that gift today, but maybe on the other side we'll get to hear what that song sounded like. They had been set free, and now they were going to be journeying towards the promised land. In the same way, as Christians here today, we have been set free. We have been delivered. And we are set free to journey towards the promised land. So when should we sing? We sing at Exodus, our song of deliverance. We sing at Exodus, our Exodus moments, and we can continue to sing about that because it is our song of deliverance. Exodus, the word actually, it meant departure. It meant a leaving of something behind. And when there has been a deliverance that takes place in your life, there is reason to sing. It says that they were in awe of the Lord. I think the question, the base question we have to ask ourselves today is, are we in awe of the Lord? Are we in awe of the Lord and what he has done in us personally to set us free from sin and death and setting us on a path towards true life in him? If so, our response should be to sing because we have a song of deliverance. For me, I always had loved to sing before even the first solo. I always just loved to sing in the car, always loving to sing. But I will say, when I became a Christian, when I was almost 17 years old, my songs changed. It was like God put a new song in my heart. So all these new songs that I loved to sing, and I sang them differently. And there's so many songs that I remember I connected with differently because I had experienced salvation. One of the most famous hymns in all of the world is Amazing Grace, and it's for many people a song of deliverance. And there's not, I can't imagine anywhere in our country that the melody could break out of that song and people wouldn't know it. People wouldn't know because it's so powerful and so well-known. Even though it was written in 1772, the words and the power of Amazing Grace ring true in people's hearts. Several years back, Chris Tomlin actually added a chorus to that song, a refrain to that song. And so it, this song is still sung so much today, but the words of this chorus are, My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing Grace. And when people sing that song, if you've ever been in a service, or I mean, I've sang it in many funerals in this actual room, 
when that song is sung and that chorus is added about the chains being gone, for the Christian, it is a song of deliverance. It's recounting an exodus moment where God has brought salvation. One way the New Testament says it is like this. In Romans 7, verse 22 through 25, it, it's, it says this, and it's kind of despairing at first, but it says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free, free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that verse because it paints a picture of despair and being a slave to sin. And it says, oh, who's going to deliver me? Christ. Christ will deliver you. He is the one here to set us free. The history of Methodism, obviously we're in a Methodist church here this morning, and the history of Methodism is deeply rooted in the brothers uh, Charles and John Wesley, and I'm sure you've heard a good bit about them. And uh, John Wesley was a preacher, and Charles Wesley was a singer and a songwriter. He actually wrote, Charles Wesley, over 6,500 hymns, which he's busy. I don't know how he did anything else but just sit around and write, but that is, that's a lot. Actually, one of the songs that he is known for we sang it early, earlier, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And I have, I have my little hymnal here. And I love verse 4. It says this, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. See, there's power when we sing songs of deliverance about what Christ has done to set us free. And Charles Wesley knew that, and he penned over 6,500 hymns. And then his brother, John Wesley, was preaching about this, right? And so here we have in our, in our hymnal, and at the very beginning of the hymnal, I just learned this two weeks ago, but John Wesley actually has something that he wrote. And it's not a song. But it's directions for singing. I bet you didn't know there were directions in the, at the front of the hymn book, did you? No? No? But it's directions for how you should sing. And so John Wesley is probably like Charles. These are some really good songs, but the people need some order and they need to know how to do this right. And so there are seven directions for singing written by John Wesley in 1761. But I think some of them are very pertinent, pertinent for us today. So I'm going to just read you a few of them just to know this is kind of what he was looking for. One of the things he says is, sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. Then he says, sing with good courage. Beware of singing as if you are half dead or half asleep. Right? Like, I like We make jokes about like poking people that are falling asleep in church, but he straight up called them out, okay? He says, don't sing like you're half asleep. No, lift up your voice with strength. And then he says, this is for the more rhythmically challenged. He's very practical. Sing in time. Whatever time is sung, be sure to keep with it. Do not run before nor stay behind it, but attend close to the leading voices and move therewith as exactly as you can and take care not to sing too slow. He goes on and says, those who sing slow basically are lazy. So I was like, wow. 
throwing shots. All right. And then the last and the most important thing I think he says is he says, above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word that you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you're singing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. See that your heart is offered to God continually. I think what's so neat about those brothers, you got a hymn writer, you got a preacher, but the preacher still realized that, hey, the singing songs is important. The singing songs is forming who we are, and it, it matters that we come and we sing together. So we need to do it right, and we need to do it well, and we need to do it on purpose. One of the things that the book talks about is how singing integrates personal experience of faith and public profession of faith. Singing integrates your personal experience of faith, your own story of how you've come to faith in the Lord and the journey you're on, but also it's a public profession. This is what we believe. We're singing our theology about who God is, and there's power when we gather in a room like this today or with Christians and believers anywhere, and we sing our song of deliverance. We have a song to sing, and we sing it at Exodus. We sing about Exodus, that we have been a people who are delivered because of Jesus Christ. But what else should we sing? Deliverance is great. It's great. That's great. They're past the Red Sea. The song is being sung. They're headed to the promised land. But when else as Christians should we sing? Let's look at Psalm 77 and let's see what it says. We're going to pick it up in verse 4, Psalm 77. And I want you to listen to the agony of the writer of this psalm, which was also a song used in worship. Verse 4, it says this, You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Has his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? These are some deep, serious questions that this author has. And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. But notice what the next verse says. He gets all of that out. And then he says this. But then I recall. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You see, this song's a little different than the song of deliverance. As Christians, we also sing in exile. We sing in exile our song in the night. We sing in exile our song in the night. And this is what this means. This psalm was actually written during the time of actual exile for God's people. They had been taken captive again. Years later, they had been taken captive 
by the Babylonians. And so they're living in a land that was not the land that had been promised to them. And so they were in it. They were taken away. And so they're in exile. And exile is about misplacement. Exile is about not living in your final place of rest in promise. They were in the in-between. Everybody know what the in-between feels like? Not very sturdy and steady, right? The in-between season. It's not where they wanted to be. Yet they knew it wasn't where they forever would be. His song had changed from one of joy to one of sorrow. You see, oftentimes seasons of deliverance are great. Seasons of deliverance are great. Oh, we're past the Red Sea. Look what God did. Let's sing, let's sing, let's sing. We're joyful. Everything's wonderful. But often coming on its heels is a season of despair. Often coming on its heels is a season of despair that we have to navigate. And this song, known as Psalm, 97, Psalm 77, shows just that. Notice what it says in verse 6 again. It says, I think of the good old days. Anybody love to talk about the good old days? What are those days anyway? We're always talking about the good old days. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. When my nights were filled with joyful songs. The writer actually recognizes the song that he is singing in the night now is very different than the songs he used to sing in the night. He recognizes that. But what I love about it is when we get to verse 11, he gets out all these things he's feeling and thinking and questioning, which is human and which is normal. But then he gets to verse 11, and then I recall. I think for the Christian, that's the important part to be able to go back to. That God meets us where we are with our questions and our hurt and our confusion, but then I recall. You see, he could express his hurt before God and yet his hope in God. He could express his hurt before God and yet his hope in God. And he did all of this through a song. Psalm 77 was a song used by God's people. One thing that I appreciate about being able to grow up in church, and my parents had us in church from, from, since I was a baby, is I got to be in the kids' choir at church. Okay, we got any people who were in the kids' choir growing up around here? All right, I'm, about to, I'm about to really test your, uh, your kids' choir knowledge here. I'm not going to sing a bunch of songs like I did a couple weeks in the auditorium. However, one big character in my life growing up was Salty the Singing Songbook. And, oh, okay, we got it, there we go. So here we go, Salt, here's Salty. That was, we started off with a little cartoon. They, they eased us into this. And so Salty, songs for little praisers. I think the little theme song was, I'm a little praiser, I'm a hallelujah raiser, and I stand about three feet tall. I mean, how can you forget that? It's stuck in your head forever. Okay, so that was cute. I'm a little, you know, hallelujah raiser, or hallelujah raiser, like I would say. And so they did this, and then, you know, a little while into it, I guess they decided, let's go for this live action thing, because that was popular. Barney was popular back then. So this is what they came up with. It's like absolutely terrifying, okay? It was a walking songbook. I mean, you can't see the whole picture. He has on blue tights and these big shoes. I mean, it is Salty the Singing Songbook. And there would be these videos. You can go to YouTube and Google this. I did a deep dive this past week, and I'm like, this is the stuff of Christian nightmares. Like, why, why do we allow these things to happen in the church? Like, no wonder I stayed wanting to follow the Lord because that is kind of scary. But Salty the Singing Songbook taught me a lot about 
who God was because of the songs I learned and the songs I learned to sing. And a lot of them were very happy, you know, like songs like I've Got the Joy that we sang earlier and lots of little, lots of little songs about I'm created by God and I, God loves me. But there's actually a song that I specifically remember, and maybe some of you know it, and I'm a, if you know it, you can sing it, sing it with me. But it's a song that's a little, a little bit heavier that we learned from Salty. And it was this, it was, I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And any time I don't know what to do, I will cast all my cares upon you. And the fact that I can still even remember that song from just being young just shows you the importance of, but then I recall. And I love that we learned a song like that even as kids because it actually got you ready for like, hey, life's not always going to be easy. There's actually going to be burdens you carry. There's actually going to be worries. But guess what? You have someone that you can take those burdens and those cares to you can take them to the Lord because he is the faithful one. We need to be people who can recall the goodness of the Lord in our seasons of night when we have a song in the night. Jim Thompson says it this way from the book. He says, what comes out of your mouth when pain enters your life is what's most in your heart. I'm going to read that again. I think that's really powerful. What comes out of your mouth when pain enters your life is what's most in your heart. And here's something you can guarantee on. Pain will enter your life. It just will. And it will show up in all sorts of ways, whether it's expected or not expected. It's just a part of this life and this world. And the reason it is so important to have a heart that's been given over to God and a heart that's been able to sing songs of deliverance, the reason it is so important is because when these seasons come and when exile hits you and you're in the middle and you're in the in-between, what comes flowing out of your mouth is very telling about what's in your heart. We need a heart to be transformed when we have our song in the night to see what actually comes out of our mouths. Job 35.10 says this, and the book of Job is full of a story of someone who his whole life at a certain point was just felt like exile in the in-between. And this is what Job 35.10 says. It says, where is God my creator, the one who gives songs in the night? I love that. God the creator, the one who gives songs in the night. You see, we can still have a song in the night, in our darkness, in our disappointment, in our loneliness. Now, maybe the tune has changed. Maybe it's not so much I've got the joy. Maybe it's taken on a different beat or a different tempo. Maybe the lyrics are a little more raw and honest and expressing what your heart is actually feeling. And guess what? That is understandable. That is understandable. What I love about the Bible is the Bible is full of, of characters who could be honest and raw before God. Read the whole book of Psalms. That's what it is. Sometimes I'm like, I'm embarrassed he said that to God. But then I'm like, okay, I'm in good company. It makes me feel a little bit better. It's understandable. 
I'm sure we can all resonate with that one way or the other. We, we can find ourselves feeling the effects of this world so often, and we don't really understand why we're facing certain circumstances, and we're asking a lot of why. You see, the Bible in the New Testament calls us citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven, yet we journey every day here in the brokenness of this world. The effects of sin continue to show up in our individual lives, in our families, in our friendships, in the workplace, the culture, and shockingly enough, certainly in the church. Everyone, deep breath, I know. Sin continues to show up, yet we still strive and long for what it's like when it one day will be restored and everything will be made right again. That is what we're in between that is what we're in between. There are seasons of exile as we journey. You see, exile is about handling your current placement while holding on to your current prom or your coming promise. I'm going to say that again. Exile, a season of exile in between, not where you want to be, not where you think you'll forever be. It's about handling your current placement while holding on to your coming promise. Historically, and I'm, I'm sure many of you know this, so many of the African-American slave songs, but historically, their songs captured this best as, as far as recent history goes. There are countless stories of abolitionists who were a part of setting slaves free, uh, especially all during the 1800s, that say that the African-American slave songs were so full of sorrow about their current life circumstances and pain, yet at the same time, completely full of hope for what was to come. Laced with joy for what was to come. One of the famous uh, abolitionists really was Harriet Tubman, and I, I actually just recently watched the movie Harriet. It is really powerful of her story, but she was a slave who found freedom and escaped, and then she became a part of the underground railroad where she went back and rescued numbers of slaves to go to freedom themselves. Very, very, very instrumental. And I just learned this about her recently, but she was actually a singer. She was known as someone who was a singer. She had a very strong faith in the Lord, and she was known as someone who communed with God and prayed often. But at the same time, people knew that she was a singer. And so the slave songs back then, the way, the way they were used, were they were used to communicate plans. And so there would be workers maybe out in the field. These slaves would be out in the field and they'd be working and they would hear far in the distance from the woods, Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. And they, everybody would start singing more. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. That's right. And when that song would break out, it wasn't just a song to get them through their work day. That was a song that was being communicated, freedom's coming. Get ready, because someone's about to be able to escape the situation you're in. And so they communicated this through song. They had a song in the night, even in the middle of pain. They sang of a coming promise, though their current placement was exile. That is powerful. 
after studying some of this, I don't think I'll ever be able to hear some of those, those spiritual songs again in the same way they were singing about what was coming and not just the freedom they would experience on this earth, but the eternal freedom and hope that they had that was beyond where they were. For us, even in seasons of exile, we can have a song in the night. Lastly, as Christians, when should we sing? We sing at Exodus, a song of deliverance. We sing in exile, our song in the night when things don't seem to be going our way. But guess what else we sing? We sing in eternity, our everlasting song. This is what it says in Revelation 15, 3 through 4. It says, they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. And this was the song they sang. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous deeds have been revealed. You see, this is what's so powerful. This passage we just read in Revelation 15 is actually the last recorded song in the Bible. It's the last recorded song in the Bible. And what's interesting about it is it actually references back to the first recorded song in the Bible, Exodus 15, the song of deliverance. And here we have at the very end of it all that the people in heaven are gathered around in eternity when things have finally been made right and once again the world is as God has intended it and they are singing this song. You see, as Christians, we sing in eternity our everlasting song. We will sing an everlasting song. And why is this such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal that the last song in the Bible references back to the first song in the Bible? I think it's because of this, because it's reminding us, God is reminding us and reminding all people that suffering doesn't get the final say. God does. That suffering doesn't get the final say. Here's the reality. You see the Bible? Exodus is that real close, second book in the Bible. It's the second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. This first song in the Bible is there. The last song in the Bible is in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. There's a whole lot of songs in the middle. There's a whole lot of life in the middle. There's a whole lot of disappointment in the middle. There's a whole lot of journeying that happened with God's people all between those two songs. There's a whole lot of them being not faithful, but God still being faithful. There's a whole lot of characters that tried to do the right thing and didn't get it right, and some people who did the right thing and things kept going wrong in life. There's a whole lot of that in the in-between, but at the end of it, God says, things will be set right and my people will be gathered around with all the angels singing, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb. We sang this earlier. Is he worthy? And the people said, he is. It's a song that will be sung throughout eternity, and suffering doesn't get the final say. No matter what is going on in our season of in-between and our exile, suffering doesn't get the final say. What Christ has done will get the final say. 
If you heard the announcement earlier about our concert ministry, we have a concert coming up in August by David Phelps. And David Phelps is one of the best vocalists I've ever heard. I remember when I was younger and I went to his concert, and he, he's, I think, most known for his song, No More Night. Does anybody know that song? I'm not even going to try to sing it because I'm just, it's just, whenever I hear that song, it just, it makes you feel like the roof's about to come off the building when he sings it. And the words of that song are so powerful. It says this, it says, no more night, no more pain, no more tears, never crying again. And praises to the great I am, we will live in the light of the risen lamb. It's a powerful song about what eternity will be like as we sing the everlasting song. And because we know, because we know that we will have an everlasting song to sing in eternity, it should affect the way we sing now. It should affect the way we sing now because we know what is to come. One author says it this way, Christianity stares death in the face and sings anyway. I love that. Christianity stares death in the face and sings anyway. There's a pastor, Tim Keller, who recently passed away, and uh, it was a very tragic loss. Um, just He had suffered for the last several years with the disease, and he passed away. He was a pastor in New York, very well-known author. We've done studies of him here as well. But Tim Keller says this about death. He wrote this several years back. He said, grieve with hope. Wake up and be at peace. Laugh in the face of death and sing for the joy of what's coming. Sing for joy at what's coming. If you have Jesus Christ by the hand and he's got you by the hand, you can sing. If you have Jesus Christ by the hand and he's got you by the hand, you can sing. You see, as, as Christians, we have a lot to sing about. And what I love is that we're reminded that we don't sing alone. We don't sing alone. We, we join the chorus of the faithful, of those who've gone before us, those who are coming behind us, and we're joining in with the universal choir singing an everlasting song. Now, some of you may not want to join the choir here on this earth, but you're going to be part of the universal choir, hopefully, where we're singing songs of praise to God, to the one who has delivered us, the worthy one. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, is there nothing to sing about today? Then borrow a song from tomorrow. Sing of what is yet to be. Is the world dreary? Then think of the next one. I love that. Is the world dreary? Then think of the next one. Have a song to sing about what is to come. And as the church, I want to remind all of us that these, we get to sing these songs of faith. We get to be the church, the people that carry this light in this dark world. We get to be a city on a hill, hill that's reminding people, hey, guess what? Is the world broken? It is. We sang it earlier. Is the world as it should be? No, it's not. But guess what? There's a God who's going to put an end to all suffering that we're experiencing here in this journey. A God who's defeated death itself. And through him, you can have a song of deliverance. And no matter your season of exile, you can have a song in eternity, an everlasting song. And we get to carry that message in the culture today. So let's sing it like we mean it. 
Let's sing it like we mean it. A song at the end of all that will declare there's no more suffering and God has got the final word. I don't know about you. That's a song I want to be singing. That's a song that I want to be singing. I want to join in what that looks like now as much as possible until that day. So as Christians, we sing at Exodus. We sing about deliverance. But we also sing in the night when things aren't so great, when we feel like we're in exile, when we feel like we're in the in-between. Because one day we will be singing in eternity. The final stage of the Christian singing is eternity with the everlasting song. My nanny passed away, the one I talked about earlier, about the video that I sang at her church. She passed away about almost two years ago now. And it was a devastating loss for my family for lots of reasons. But I remember when we knew that she was at the end, we were all gathered like at her house. And we were all in the room with her in her final days. And there was lots of singing. I did lots of singing during that whole week. And um, she, you know, when she took her final breath, and they said, you know, she's taking her final breath. And it was just, it was agonizing for so many reasons, so many tears. But for some reason, the immediate response I had was to begin to sing over her. To begin to sing over her lifeless body. And I remember singing the goodness of God. I just sang the chorus one time as my whole family was there. And we cried and we wept. And I don't know what it was about breaking. It was not a planned thing. But breaking out into a song when her body was lifeless and I knew she had gone to be with the Lord, there was something powerful about that moment. There was something powerful about that moment, singing the song, The Goodness of God, because more than anyone I know, she had went through so much suffering, yet she was someone who always had a song on her lips. She always was singing. So it was easy to sing over her the goodness of God, that God had been faithful to her even until that last breath. And now she was experiencing it. Several days later, we went to lay her body in the ground at that same church where I did that solo, Salem United Methodist Church. And we gathered in the graveyard and we laid her body to rest. And I remember after that happened, I gathered, I have four nieces, and we all gathered there in the graveyard and we began to sing. We began to sing songs of joy. Here's a video of what that was while we were there singing. And they were so happy, and we sang songs of joy, and we laughed, even though there had been so many tears. There was something to sing about in that moment. And I thought to myself later, as I look back at those videos and those songs, I thought to myself, who sings in a graveyard? Like, people driving by, like, they're like kids, they're jumping up and down, we're laughing, we're singing. Who sings in a graveyard? I'll tell you who sings in a graveyard. People who know that this is not the end. People that sing in a graveyard are singing because they know that that loved one has just gone on and joined the universal choir singing the everlasting song. That the suffering is no more. That God has made things just as it should be. And so for you this morning, I don't know if your step is that you need an actual song of deliverance that you need to experience salvation for the first time and you need to accept what Christ has done for you. Maybe that's your song today that you need. Maybe you're someone who needs 
a song for this difficult season. You feel like you're in the in-between, a season of exile where things are not as you want them to be, and you need a song during the night. And the God who gives songs, it may not be the song you always want to sing, but it's a song that will resonate and connect with you in a new way during this season. But maybe for all of us, we just need to remember that there is an everlasting song that will be sung. An everlasting song that will be sung that we can join in with and sing. So as we journey in this life, may we do it with a song on our lips because we have Christ in our hearts. And so I ask us this question again. When should we sing And my response is the same. When shouldn't we sing? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for who you are. We are grateful that we could gather in this space today and and just with words and lyrics and melody and tunes and instruments, we can sing praises to you, O four thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. We sing songs that lift up who you are. We sing songs that you're a faithful God, even when we feel like we are not faithful ourselves. And we, we lift up that you are the Redeemer, the one who has dealt with our sin and defeated death. Lord, I pray that we as Christians would sing loud our songs of deliverance for all the world to hear as a city on a hill. And Lord, may you uh, be with us as we continue to journey in this life through seasons of exile through seasons of difficulty, through seasons of in in between, and may our hearts always be set on what's coming in eternity as we sing the everlasting song. It's in the holy and powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.